Good pigs start with good genetics. As our understanding of the animal's genetic code deepens and technology advances, so does the industry's ability to enhance and influence a suite of traits and characteristics. One relatively new area of focus is breeding pigs for increased natural robustness to disease. In other words, breeding pigs that are hardier in the face of disease pressure and are even less likely to get sick in the first place. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at the big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we talk with a swine geneticist at Topics Norseman, who is working on the leading edge of improving swine production at the most elemental level by understanding the role genetics play in an animal's response to disease and how we can breed pigs who are simply more robust when faced with disease pressure. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by Topics Norsven, the second largest swine genetics company in the world. Topics Norsven's unique breeding program is designed to accelerate genetic progress at the customer level by creating innovative products and solutions that benefit the entire pork production chain. To get more information, visit topicsnorsven.us. Janelle Dunkelberger earned her doctorate in genetics at Iowa State University. While there, she studied the role of host genetics in susceptibility to viral disease in pigs. Since completing her graduate studies, she spent the past three years applying that research to the genetic programs at Topics Norsven. I was curious to learn more about what she and her colleagues have learned about the role genetics play in managing swine disease. Here's our conversation. Janelle, let's start with maybe a 30,000-foot overview Give us a bit of a snapshot. Who is Topics Norseman? Let's start there, and then we'll work into your role in the organization. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for having me, and I'm excited to talk about this topic with you today. So Topics Norseman is a global swine genetics company, and some of the listeners may recognize the names Norseman and Topics from prior to our merger several years ago. So Norsven was originally a Norwegian pig breeding company and Topics was a Dutch pig breeding company. And then uh, we merged several years ago to form Topics Norsven, which is now the second largest swine genetics company globally. Uh, We're present in 54 different countries. And something that I think that's really unique about our organization is that we're owned by farmers. So a lot of the things that we work on from a research standpoint are driven by the motivations, the desires and the concerns of those Dutch and Norwegian pig farmers. And actually as as a researcher, I'm quite excited about the fact that we have a 22 million euro research budget annually that helps to drive that research. So that gets invested across five major platforms. So because we're a genetics company, genetics and genomics, of course, is the foundation for the work that we do. Uh, But we also have very specific projects and key people working in the areas of feed and feed efficiency, meat and carcass quality, reproduction and robustness and animal welfare. When you look at swine genetics research, and, and we're going to get into the, you know, deep uh, thinking on a couple of those topics here later on in the program. But I, I find it interesting when you talk about the global reach of, of topics, Norsven and the number of countries you're in. 
I'm I'm guessing going out on a limb here that you know because production systems maybe are different in different parts of the world, you're able to draw on you know the experiences learned uh, you know in different types of production systems or different parts of the world, uh, different genetic lines and so on, and 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 maybe kind of cross pollinate so to speak. Uh, things we learned over here in this sphere or this area of research play a role in other aspects of genetics as well. Is that is that is that a fair guess? That's very accurate. I think that's one of the things that really helps to drive our research program. Uh, so we're an incredibly interactive group from a research standpoint. Um, I actually visit Europe a couple times a year to connect with the research team over there. And that's just a really good opportunity for us to touch base on different pain points of, of different marketplaces and then trying to brainstorm different research projects that we can do together as a way of, of trying to make the best use of our resources to address some of those problems. So for example, uh, production in the US has a lot of similarities to pig production in Brazil. Uh, so I work quite closely with our geneticists located there um, because we have a lot of, of similar areas of interest that we want to work on. And it's just a, a good setup for our research team in order to be able to have those kinds of communications and to be able to kind of pool our resources and our knowledge, so to speak, and experiences in those different marketplaces to drive not only better pig production and, and improvement within our own home markets, but uh, globally as well. When you're looking at some of the topics or, or issues or challenges that you and your, your colleagues and uh, genetic research are tackling. How many times does that that kind of curiosity or that process of learning start with, um, say, something that happens out on the farm that one of your, you know, the farmer owners you talked about say, hey, you know, I, I have this challenge or I have this issue. Can you can you help me? Versus, you know, drawing on your own experience, kind of in the lab or at the bench, saying, hmm, this is an interesting thing. I wonder if. And, and then out from that kind of process, like what, what does that kind of creative, if you will, part of the research process look like? I think the fact that we are owned by farmers and that they are part of the supervisory board that direct the things that we do as a company is very impactful in those decisions. So the things that we work on and invest in both financially and time and effort uh, from our researchers is, is driven exactly by the needs of the customer. Uh, so I think that that's, that's probably the best example of how the things that we work on are indeed commercially relevant and driven by some of the things that they're dealing with. Uh, from a more specific standpoint from the US, we also have a number of different projects that we're working on here that are specific to our marketplace that are driven more by the needs of, of some of our local customers. And we have projects designed around those things as well. Let's, let's get back a little more to the topic of hand with that good bit of background kind of in our pockets. For, for you specifically, what's, what's your role um, in the company and, and maybe give us your background as well. Like what, at what stage do you say, you know what, that would be a fun career would be to 
become a swine geneticist. So, so give us your background in addition to your role at the company. Sure. So my position right now is geneticist with Topic Nurse in USA. So I'm based out of our US office in Burnsville, Minnesota. Uh, prior to coming to Topics Norsefin, uh, I completed my bachelor's degree at Northwestern College in Northwest Iowa, a very hog dense part of the world. Uh, I worked for a little bit and saw that very much as motivation to continue my education and went back to graduate school where I completed my PhD in genetics at Iowa State University. And the focus of my research there was looking at the role of host genetics in response to viral infection in pigs. So most of my work focused on host response to PERS in particular, uh, but also looking at co-infections of PERS with other diseases such as PCV2. And that work was supervised uh, by my advisor, Dr. Jack Deckers, uh, who is still a professor at Iowa State today. I completed my degree there in spring of uh, 2017 and have been working uh, as geneticist with Topics Marshman since. So you've, you've been kind of in the weeds on how genetics and disease response kind of work together going back to your days at university. So let's get right into the topic. Could, for, for the listener, maybe put this in, you know, pr- producer terms, I won't say layman terms, but, but professional out in the field as opposed to at the bench terms and, and talk about the concept of robustness to disease. What, what exactly are we talking about when we think about robustness to disease when it comes to um, swine genetics? In the case of a disease outbreak, if you were to go to the farm, you could observe more than likely a number of different responses of the animals to that infection. So on the one hand, uh, an extreme example would be that despite being infected, a pig would appear very healthy. So you'd see minimal or no clinical signs of infection and that animal would be able to maintain performance. On the other end of the spectrum, a very non-robust animal would be one that upon infection was displaying clinical signs and symptoms of infection it had very reduced uh, levels of performance and would end up actually succumbing uh, to the infection as a mortality. So those would be the extreme examples in terms of a a highly robust versus non-robust animal. But in reality, we can also observe host responses in terms of robustness anywhere between. And so when you look at PERS as as an example, when we go out and look at a genotype of a group of pigs, we'll find some that are are resistant or more resistant to the disease versus ones who are susceptible, more susceptible to disease. Is that, is, is that a reasonable summation? I've seen that firsthand on several occasions now where we know that a group of animals is positive for PERS virus and you walk through the barn and the amount of variation that you can observe in those animals is really quite striking. So even within a pen, 
where you know that animals have been reared the same way, um, have been fed same diets and been managed similarly, you still see huge variation in terms of how those animals are coping with the infection. There's, there's a, a pig here who obviously has not missed any meals at the feeder versus another pig who's maybe half the size, see some backbone showing, uh, the pig is furry, he's got discharge around his eyes, and so clearly showing a lot of those classical signs of, of PERS infection. I was looking at some of the, the background material you sent me, and I, and I thought it was really interesting. So after you start with that sort of basic observation of, of walking the pen, so to speak, when you go back and, and look at the genetic material and, and go back and do the study, I mean, you can actually quantify that and, and go back and find you know, the genes and, and chromosomes, alleles, et cetera, that where, where that sort of ro robustness resides. What, what, are, what are we learning um, over, over the past few years of doing research on this topic? What are we learning about, um, you know, the degree to which that sort of robustness is something we can select for and, and make part of our breeding program? The first step that we have to take really when we look at investigating host response and if and how that can be applied to a breeding program is to start by doing something like, like we were just discussing to look and see if there is variation in response to that disease and then taking that a step further to see, okay, is there actually a genetic cause for some of the phenotypic or observable variation that we've identified? So in that example where we walk through the barn and we see these monster pigs and these tiny furry pigs within the same pen, uh, that's clearly an indication that these pigs are handling the infection in different ways. So now what we have to do is look to pedigree information or genetic information recorded on those animals to identify what's the actual proportion of that phenotypic variation that we're observing observing that's due to their genetic information. Uh, we refer to this as the heritability of the trait. Uh, so once we've established that that response to disease is indeed heritable, then we can take it to that next step of trying to identify the specific causes for that genetic variation. So in other words, uh, what are the individual genes and other genomic regions that are actually associated uh, with the genetic variation that we've identified. Uh, there's some different ways that we can do that. On a rare occasion, we get lucky and we can see that there's one or maybe even a few major regions associated with host response to disease. But most of the time, it's going to be a number of smaller or regions with smaller effects on robustness that are involved. It doesn't matter uh, which of these cases are identified uh, in terms of how we can make progress with it uh, in terms of enhancing robustness to disease, but it does affect the implementation strategy that we use in terms of how to uh, implement that into our breeding program. So if we find just uh, a single major gene associated with response to infection, for example, uh, it becomes quite easy because we can simply look to that individual gene 
and see if animals have the favorable or unfavorable genotype uh, at that region, uh, which then can be used to make selection decisions about if they should become a parent for the future generation. If it's more associated with uh, uh, multiple regions with smaller effects on, on robustness, then we use a strategy called genomic selection, which is able to use the values associated with each of those individual regions to calculate kind of a, a summary value, if you will, that represents the overall genetic merit of animals uh, that we can use to identify uh, as superior or inferior uh, parents for producing progeny for the next generation. We'll hear more from Dr. Dunkelberger in a moment, including taking a deeper dive into why selecting for disease robustness is such an important effort for the swine industry as a whole. Topics Norrisville has made natural selection for robustness a priority in the breeding programs for its TN Tempo Terminal Sire and TN70 Parent Female lines. As Dr. Dunkelberger and I have been discussing in this episode, Topics Norsven selects for specific natural resistance to PERS, as well as overall robustness characteristics, to further enhance the production performance of TN Tempo and TN70 offspring. The robustness advantage of the TN Tempo has been verified by independent research. Their customers report improved piglet vitality, uniformity, and barn throughput as well. Learn more about TN Tempo at tntempo.com. Now, back to my conversation with swine geneticist Janelle Dunkelberger. It's a pretty it's a pretty big process and certainly like when we look at the concept of of applying this in the context of of PERS, which is sort of the example we've been talking about um, uh, as being particularly relevant, this is a really big um, issue for the industry. I'm thinking, you know, as as we look at it economically, as we think about it in terms of animal and and human well-being uh, the humans that have to take care of these animals that is maybe put this into context for us as to why this selection for increased robustness to disease is so important for the swine industry i think i'll take that in two different parts and um, so first of all disease disease is certainly an important uh, factor for our industry uh, that we can see, especially these days, just thinking about ASF and the impact that that's had, not just on pork production, but on the global stage. So we've seen already how ASF has impacted our economy uh, and even food security for people in, in certain countries. At the farm level, uh, disease, of course, has a, an impact on the production as well as the economics of, of individual farms. So disease impacts performance levels. It causes the need for additional treatments to be administered, pulling uh, dead pigs out of pens, et cetera. And then from an economic standpoint, a lot of those things aren't cheap, right? When we talk about added costs due to medication and treatment and lost opportunity due to mortality and uh, loss of production. So there are some cases um, that we've used uh, in the past where traditional control strategies are very effective at helping us to combat the impacts of disease. So some of those 
would include things like vaccination, medication, biosecurity practices, and good herd management strategies. But then there's other cases where these more so-called traditional strategies either aren't effective or they're not enough to help us to control the impacts of disease. And I think PERS is a good example of that. So after 30 years of trying to combat PERS within the U.S., we still don't have a single effective method that we can use at this moment to help us control that. So that's where an alternative strategy like using genetic approaches to breed for pigs that are naturally more robust to infection uh, is certainly uh, an option that we ought to consider. And there's a lot of research that's been conducted uh, originating from universities and, and USDA and, and industry collaborations that has shown that there is indeed uh, a substantial amount of genetic variation in response to PERS. You, you a minute ago or a moment ago were walking us through sort of uh, maybe the beginning parts of how this selection process would work for robustness to disease. Um, but if I put myself in the boots of somebody making breeding decisions or, or pondering, you know, the genetic part of my program, whether I'm, um, you know, at an integrator, if I'm at an individual system, if I'm a veterinarian who's making um, recommendations to a client and so on, help me kind of frame this in my mind, how this selection for robustness works, um, you know, kind of throughout the process and what I, what I should be um, considering or, or watching uh, in terms of developments for how we use the genetic component of, of robustness. So from our experience, uh, at least at, at Topics Norsefin, the way that, that we look at this is by wanting to capitalize on naturally occurring genetic variation in response to disease and select for that like we do all of the other economically important traits that are part of our index. And so for example, uh, as a company, we made the decision to implement selection for increased partial PERS resistance in March of 2018. So the way that we've approached that is actually by calculating breeding values for PERS resistance based on a major gene associated with host response to PERS that originated from some of that university work that I was just referring to. And so those are now part of the selection uh, index that we use to identify the candidates that should be used for breeding and producing our next generation of offspring. And so this is a way that we are simply using traditional breeding strategies to take advantage of the naturally occurring genetic variation that's already existing within our lines to disseminate those favorable genes for response to PERS uh, through the next generations of pigs uh, that we produce. How, how far down that road are we? You, you mentioned kind of making it a focus in, in 2018. So this is still you know, relatively um, a relatively new development, so to speak. But how far um, you know in that process are we, and, and how soon do you think we'll start seeing that that pay dividends, so to speak, um, for you know litters ferret out there 
throughout these various systems in the field. So by adding PERS resistance to the breeding goal in 2018, starting to select for individuals with enhanced robustness then was immediate. So that became already part of the breeding program and animals are currently um, being evaluated with PERS resistance being part of the part of what contributes to selecting those animals for, um, for breeding for the next generation. So that's already taking place. One of the things that we do have to be aware of is that the favorable genotype for enhanced robustness to PERS is actually somewhat low naturally within populations. And so it is going to take a matter of time before the frequency of that gene rises to uh, more appreciable levels that will be noticed at the, the commercial level. But we actually see that as, as a really positive thing because we know that the impacts or the robustness that we're going to observe is just going to be cumulative uh, throughout different generations. Well, and, and if it's a, a, you know, a low, a relatively low um, volume, I guess, of, of prevalence now, there's potential for a pretty big impact then if that's something, you know, that we can further disseminate as you described. I mean, this, there, there's some pretty big upside here, I'm, I'm guessing. That's right. And this is just one example uh, of looking at selecting for enhanced robustness to a specific disease but actually as a breeding company, we've made the decision that our larger goal in selecting for enhanced robustness is actually to focus on improving overall robustness to infection. So PERS gets special attention because of the economic importance of that particular disease, but our larger focus is really looking at trying to prepare ourselves for producing animals that are going to thrive in future production systems. So we don't know years from now what types of pathogens are going to be problematic for us. So the best thing that we can do is to try to breed for animals that are simply better at responding to whatever type of pathogens they might face. Uh, we also think that this is going to be important in order to be consistent with what we anticipate our future consumers asking for. So we see a lot of interest currently in consumers wanting to have their food produced with reduced antibiotics and also increased animal welfare. So if we envision what pork production is going to look like, uh, even within the U.S. in coming years as population increases and demand for animal protein increases, we can envision a world in which we're going to have even larger production systems, animals that are given fewer antibiotics, and then it becomes quite clear that these animals are going to have to be really robust in order to thrive in, in such systems. What's the degree, I guess, and I'm, I realize I'm probably asking a simple question with a fairly complex answer, but you talked about, you know, we kind of give PERS special treatment for obvious reasons and, and looked at maybe the, the genetic component of that specifically, and then more broadly, this general robustness. 
how how linked or separate are those two concepts that in other words we're breeding for generally more robustness to disease um and that happens on these genes over here versus hey we're really interested in pers or asf or pdv or insert other disease issue uh, of the future here and that's over here on a completely different set of genes are those two things like highly linked and cor or correlated or um do you find that hey sometimes this disease is kind of off here on its own set of genes doing its own thing we certainly find that there are genes that are specific to response to certain diseases and that's good but we also want to look for these genes that are associated with overall response to infection and that we're still working on researching so we don't have the magic bullet yet in terms of, well, these are the, the genomic regions that are associated with overall uh, improved response to infection, uh, but that's what we're working towards. It's an extremely lofty goal uh, when you think about the number of pathogens that are out there. Uh, so you have bacterial infections, you have viral infections, and they all have, these pathogens all have different modes of action in terms of how they how they infect the individual, and then the types of responses that they have on the individual themselves to result in, in pathology. So that makes it really quite complicated. Um, so what we have to really focus on is looking for these genes that are involved in, let's say, general immune response type of pathways uh, that are helpful to the animal in mounting uh, an infection an effective uh, immune response to uh, whatever types of pathogens that the animals encounter. We we've talked about uh, you know a couple of different disease issues, but let, maybe let's um, take this a little more broadly, and and you can give us a, a glimpse into the future. What's on the horizon? What's next for Topics Norsven? in this area of disease research? What, what's on your, and we talked about some lofty goals ahead, um, but, but what do you have on, on your to-do list or, or disease research bucket list, so to speak, for this topic in the next five, 10, 20 years? One of the things that we've been doing and continue to do are to collect or to conduct large-scale disease challenge trials. So this is a way that we can collect both genetic information and phenotypic information on a large number of animals. And then we can use that information along with statistical approaches to investigate the genetic variation in response to disease, to look for genetic regions, and then ultimately to figure out if implementing enhanced robustness for response to either a specific pathogen that they were infected with or multiple pathogens is going to be a viable approach. Uh, one of the ways that we're also exploring that is by looking at different robustness phenotypes. So there's different ways that you can characterize an individual's response to infection. So you can do that by looking at, for example, the growth rate of animals under challenge, perhaps the mortality rate of individuals under challenge, 
or nowadays uh, some pretty sophisticated phenotypes such as microbiome composition and the metabolome. So I think these are some so-called new traits or new phenotypes on the horizon that really as a scientific community, we're just kind of scratching the surface at this point in terms of understanding how to best collect these data, make sense of them, and understand if we can use them for selection purposes. So we're going to continue to see uh, more things like that. Um, and something else that we're investigating too is using technology as a way of capturing data that we can use to really profile animals for robustness. So we've heard a lot about uh, precision phenotyping. Uh, so we can see now that there's different ways that we can uh, actually track individual animal movements uh, in terms of when the animals are sitting down or standing up, visiting the feeder, visiting the drinker, et cetera, um, and use that to even characterize activity levels of animals. So these are all just different tools that we're going to continue to explore and, and be able to use in the future to help us um, not just understand what genomic regions we should be after, but to get even better data to characterize uh, the robustness of individuals in order to facilitate the best approaches to select for more robust animals. It's a pretty exciting future you describe. Uh, I, I like that, that uh, we've already learned so much, but just sort of scratching the tip of the iceberg here as to what we might be able to accomplish with um, a little more time under our belts and um, years down the line. I'm, I'm excited to revisit this conversation with you and, and see what we've learned. I want to thank Dr. Janelle Dunkelberger, a geneticist with Topics Norsefin, for enlightening us about the role that genetics play and genomics play in robustness for disease, a big topic that I think we will explore further and further as time goes by. And it's been a really interesting conversation on this episode of the Feedstuffs in Focus podcast. With Iowa Pork Congress just around the corner, I encourage you to visit Topics Norsevin at booth 845. You might even get to meet today's guest, Janelle Dunkelberger, a geneticist with Topics Norsevin, while you're at the show. Of course, you can learn more about Topics Norsevin's genetic programs at any time at topicsnorsevin.us. Thanks again to Dr. Dunkelberger for joining us on this episode of the Feedstuffs in Focus podcast. For the latest reporting on this and related swine health topics, subscribe to the Feedstuffs in Focus uh, podcast on your favorite platform, including Apple and Google. And also be sure that you're subscribed to the Feedstuffs Daily and Feedstuffs Swine e-newsletters. You can sign up for those at feedstuffs.com. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting our industry, including the livestock, poultry, green, grain, and feed industries, subscribe, as I mentioned, via your favorite platforms, Apple and Google, or you can always check out our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.